Welcome to Jobs in Tech. Welcome to Jobs in Tech. What's going on in the world today, Brad? In this beautiful, techy, geeky, crazy world we live in, what's happening? You know better than I do. I don't know. I'm just here helping you out now. Yeah. <laughs> You're helping me out. Uh, no, uh, I'm actually excited about today's show. Uh, we actually have a guest, uh, which is what we we have been doing recently. Uh, we have Robert Turner of Compsys, and and uh, I'm I'm really excited about this episode. I'm I'm excited to learn about him, learn all about Compsys, and and all the cool innovative things they're doing. Yeah, me too. Awesome, Robert. How you doing, sir? How you doing, Robert? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. I'm in the office today, which is a minor miracle in itself, but it's a good day. <laughs> it's that's so awesome. funny. That's our thing now. It's like, ah, office. Right. Who does that? Gosh, that's Why old. Go there? That's old school. <laughs> right. Well, it's better than being sitting in an airplane across the country like I've been doing most of this year. So oh. I'll take being in my own office and sleeping in my own bed. I oh. mean, uh, certain basic uh, creature comforts like sleeping in your own bed at night is a, is a good thing. There is a lot to be said for that. I, I get it. Yeah, so true, so true. So cool. So cool. Robert, why Go don't ahead. you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about your background. Tell us about Comsys. Help us understand a little bit more about you. Okay. Uh, my name is Robert Turner or Bob Turner, whichever you prefer. Um, I have been in the tech industry. I'll just put it this way. I've been programming since I was 12 years old. I'll just leave it as that was a little later, the very late 70s, but uh, it kind of wow. gives you a long, how long I've been slinging code around. I don't do much now. They've got me being you know, president and founder, chief salesman and chief technologist out there, which are all incredibly important but it's hard to get away from slinging code sometimes. But uh, anyways, um, you know, along the way, um, I ended up with an engineering degree, electrical engineering, which is probably my first passion. And then I ended up uh, getting the university somehow to pay for my master's degree in computer science. So I've got both sides of that and you know, it's, it's a good thing. Um, but along the way, I kind of also dabbled a lot in public safety and that became really important when I was at high school because I found I didn't quite get along with a lot of the people at my high school. I kind of fell into being a firefighter and it was really uh, next door neighbor was a captain with our fire company and he's a big believer that teenage boys with idle hands is a really bad idea for the universe <laughs> and uh, you know I had the thing back in that era of computers were very expensive and I couldn't afford one so I became a firefighter instead I go figure that one out but uh, that was good it uh, that, that was a, a great experience that I didn't realize at the time would end up moving my uh, life in a, in a really important direction because passionately between my technology side and my public safety side, that's basically what defines me. Those are the two things that are important. And I did the firefighting for about four years. I also became a, re a summer relief dispatcher as well. And this was all in Southern New Jersey, you know, protect the agency so they don't have to admit that I was actually was there. But uh, <laughs> I did that and ended up in college for Ohio. And I've been in Ohio for a long time since then. And, you know, ended up marrying a, a wonderful woman and had, raising a couple kids. And she wouldn't let me be a firefighter anymore because she was always afraid of getting the phone call of your husband's died. So I said, okay, whatever. It, but because of that, I ended up getting back in the technology business in, of all things, public safety. And I ended up starting a company about 30 years ago. And that company is Comsys. And we have evolved into becoming very specialized 
uh, in law enforcement and public safety software, which is a really niche business. And it's been oh, where cool. I've been passionate for these 30 years doing that type of stuff. Um, and, you know, for me, it's always been important of, yeah, I enjoy being a firefighter, but ultimately in the end, a lot of people I know and, you know, the, the people who on both the technology side as well as the public safety side that are involved in this space, we do it because we feel like we're helping people. And there are things that I know that have saved people's lives. That's ultimately the big motivator for me. Uh, I have, I know, unlike a lot of people, and I know, no offense to anybody working for a bank or doing financial applications, <laughs> moving numbers around, it's important. But I, sorry, doing what I do in terms of saving people's lives and officers' lives, that's really important to me. That's what gets me going in the day. So, 100% yeah, agree. That's awesome. Yeah, I, and then that's that's what's really been my main motivator in life. And I've been very fortunate, you know, because of both being gifted, you know, through God or whatever else with a lot of, you know, very good technology skills and an ability to communicate technology ideas, plus having been a public safety guy, that I've been one of the leaders in technology within uh, law enforcement and public safety. And that's, I, I can't be any luckier than than that. So I, I've been a really lucky guy. So that's kind of a, a the the big background on me. That that worked for you guys. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think, I think that's fantastic. I mean, I think I think you summed it up, you know, really well. I mean, it seems like you kind of went full circle. You were you were doing the firefighting, and then you went to to technology, and you still had that passion, and that's that's awesome. That's that's really cool. The other cool thing I love uh, about what you, you the way you told your story and and where you went, it, it it's cool. We talk about finding our passion and being in our passion, and, and you could tell by listening to you that you're in your passion. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> hands yeah, down. Absolutely. You you love what you do, and that's cool. I love to hear that from from folks. That means you care about your company, you care about what's going on, and and I love I love that. I just love that that that's who you are. Absolutely. Well, I drive my wife up the wall, you know, because whenever I hear a siren or something like that, that goes up and look at, okay, what the hell is that moving? Where are they going? Who's responding? I know everybody in the local agencies around here. I drive her up the wall. But, yeah, you're right. It is my passion. It's what I've done and I what I've absolutely been blessed to be able to do during my career. That's cool. So. And that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's what you really want. I mean you know through through life i mean you just want to find your passion in life whether that be technology whether that be firefighting whether that be playing guitar whatever you just want to have that passion yep you got it and and you know it's amazing how everybody's passions are different and you know this is what's worked for me and i'm I'm very happy guy that's awesome we always like to kind of ask so what would you say if we were saying how is your company a disruptor for technology what would you say to that uh, I would say we did the disruption a while ago. Um, let me kind of give you a little bit of background with this. You know, you know, a lot of people talk about being on the bleeding edge of technology. One thing by working in public safety is I found the trailing edge of technology here. <laughs> you know, um, and we deal with a lot of old technologies. You know, so when I, uh, you know, let me kind of go a little bit more into myself for a second. You know, am I motivated by money? Yeah, as much as the next guy. To me, money's important for a retirement. I want a comfortable retirement and, and things like that. But I never did it purely for the money. 
I did it for the autonomy. Okay, I mean, people are, what the hell are you talking about autonomy? Uh, I just don't suffer fools well. I've never suffered fools well. And I am very much of a, a case of I would rather work for myself a million hours a week and know it's for myself rather than we're working for somebody else at a big company where I'm in the cube dying slowly right. as my life drains out for me. And I had some, there were some things while I was in college, I worked for some large name brand companies, which I'm going to, you know, protect from this. And, you know, it's a long, long time ago. But I, I learned some things about myself is one, I don't suffer fools well. And two, you know what, I like the autonomy of being able to do what I want to do rather than what I necessarily have to. Now, I found out life is a little bit different than that ideal, but there's still a lot of truth in it. That's really why I was motivated to start my own company out of college. You know, got through graduate school, dealt with all the politics of universities and said, you know what, let's go ahead and go start our own shop. We're not making any money right now as it is. Let's see what we can do. And I've been successful. And you know, I've lost money, I've made money, but I've been doing it for three decades. That's just pretty impressive. I, I'm pretty proud of myself in that regard. Um, but, you know, to get to your point, we didn't go start within uh, public safety initially. Initially, I was a Unix and TCP IP hacker in the mid to late 80s, right okay. at the beginning of the, of, the, of the epoch. And so I was doing stuff for an IT services basis. And as we grew the company where we are you know, based right now in Dayton, Ohio, and Comsys's offices in Dayton, Ohio, and Phoenix, Arizona. And in Dayton, we got started here because that's where I went to university. And it's a really is a great tech hub. It was even a bigger one years ago. We had companies like uh, NCR were based here. Uh, we had uh, LexisNexis was based here really up until the last five years when they pretty much they finally moved the rest of the stuff out. Uh, in fact, when I can look at the old LexisNexis data center just outside my window here. Um, and then, uh, you know, we have this small place called Wright-Patterson Air Force Base because you may have found a, heard of two guys from Dayton, uh, Right, brothers? You know, they kind of invited this thing called no, the airplane. have no idea yeah, who they are. I have no idea. <laughs> well, uh, Wright-Patterson's really important for the Air Force because a lot of their program management offices and system program offices are all run here. So if you go on I-675 out here, it's, as they call the Beltway Bandits, but there's an awful lot of software people around this area that are supporting Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and the defense mission in this country. So there are a lot of technology around here. And as a result, when I got out of uh, graduate school, there was a need for people doing Unix workstations for engineering and technology purposes. And we got started doing services, which was great. Um, and then along the line, we did that for about seven years. And during the same time I was doing public safety work, I kind of backdoored into that too much of a story right now, but we started doing some contract work for people in the computer-aided dispatch or what we call CAD. So yeah, you'd be careful. Oh, the CAD's computer-aided design, not my world, it's computer-aided dispatch and police <laughs> records management or RMS. So yeah, CAD and RMS will be two terms you hear me talk probably every 10 minutes in the business because those people are really who we do business. And what a CAD system is in terms of a dispatch system is that's the system that when you call 911 up and you're talking to a dispatcher or what we call a call taker, that person's taking that information and entering it into a CAD system because 
that's how they actually manage dispatching a unit to you and tracking what that unit's doing. So if they're overdue or they haven't responded in a while, they know they might have an emergency. They're also tracking it for legal purposes. If you go into court and say, okay, well, when did the police really respond? That'll usually be a printout out of the CAD system that has it. But uh, basically a CAD is, in my the way the terms I've always used, is a tactical support system for law enforcement or public safety in terms of managing their calls for service. That calls for service is an important term. Records management, that's where, you know, one of the things that you deal with police, everything they do gets documented. Well, everything that gets documented needs to be stored and searchable, and that's what a records management system does in very short form and what's doing it. So what does COMSYS do in this whole mess? Well, when you're dealing with law enforcement, every time you have if you're an officer, and I use the famed officer pulling somebody up on the side of the street for a ticket, which I'm sure has never happened to you guys in your life. Never, ever, ever. Never, 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 never happened. And, Not you know, recently, happened, knock on wood. Yeah, well, the short-form version is when they pull up on you, they already run your information. But let's go to the kind of longer-form version. When the officer stops you, finds there's nothing really going on, they take your driver's license, your vehicle registration, and in some states, their your insurance, back to the cruiser and maybe they're going to give you a prize maybe they just want to look at who you are and when they actually you know, run your information they're running that on their computer which is generally talked to their CAD system which then in turn talks to the state crime computer okay hmm. and that state crime computer is usually tied to the state dmv system it also is tied to what we call in the business called the state hot files and those hot files are the wanted vehicles, the wanted people, and things like that based on state information. They'll also tie to the FBI's NCIC system, National Crime Information Center in uh, Clarksburg, West Virginia, where they're looking for felony warrants on an ind you as an individual or uh, your information uh, if on your vehicle if you're wanted out of state. And then you know, part of the DMV check is making sure your driver's license is valid and your registration is valid. So those are all really important things. Um, the state crime computers, I used kind of the older name. The name now, we really call them state CJIS systems or criminal justice information systems, CJIS. Okay, that, that makes CJIS. sense, yeah. Yeah, it is. And every state's got a CJIS system. The problem, the way you talk to it varies in all 50 states, okay? And then you have states like California and Ohio and a couple other ones that have regional systems is you have, may have more than that. And then there's also uh, federal systems like the FBI has its systems, but then the Secret Service has its systems. And they're all networked together into a giant network that they all share information with each other. But it's all message-based because oh wow uh, yeah and this is where usually I, I i i'll usually get a good uh well you what are you talking about answer when i say this the reality is the law enforcement information sharing environment that i just described is some of the oldest information sharing of anybody in in the world of any application and it dates back to the 1930s at which point i'm about to hear but wait there weren't computers in the 1930s no there weren't but there were teletypes and what you huh. ran into is the Makes 1930s sense. you know after you got past wall street the news industry uh and something else i can't remember off the top of my head the next biggest user of teletypes uh in the world were the police 
And it makes a lot of sense when you think about it because the problem they are dealing with, you know, and I don't know how many of your listeners has ever had to deal with it, but if you're going to arrest somebody on a warrant that's from out of state, let's say I'm, I'm in Ohio right now and, you know, next door is Indiana. Let's say, you know, I'm an Ohio cop and I stop somebody on the street that turns out they have a warrant out of Indianapolis or Marion County, more correctly, that needs to be arrested. Well, you know, I need to look at those documents and look at that information. In the old days, the way that was dealt with, literally, and I have really uh, uh, read the accounts of this, is that you'd have uh, two officers on telephone lines, you know, and one would be dictating the warrant to the other, and the receiving guy would sign off on it that this was the true and accurate information that he received in the phone call. Hmm. Well, that's wow. what they did in the 1910s, as late as that. And so when teletypes came along, that changed the world because now they could do, and I can imagine they were cutting and pasting teletype uh, p, uh, uh, paper tape together to get that out, but they could now transmit a warrant that was presentable in, in court, and all the receiving officer had to do was sign it. And you can see how law enforcement went to teletype technology big. And so the point is in the mid-30s, you had the state police of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York link themselves together so that they could share information in real time between each other, which was a, a big deal for that time. And that's where the sieges networks really came from, was growing that out over, you know, from the 30s to the 60s, where we then brought the first computers along. Um, you know, J. Edgar Hoover was the head of the FBI. He realized that it was important, and he brought what would become NCIC, National Crime Information Center, and took the teletype network and plugged it into the back of a mainframe, and that's how you, you know, got the first, uh, you know, sieges network. And states like California started to do things early as well, and now every state has one of these systems. The problem is, and the great part there, they're all there, but the signaling varies in all 50 states. Hmm. So, so there's the no standard. Is, Talking back yeah, and forth to each other. Exactly. Yep. So the, they all talk to each other because they all did the work that way. But let's say I'm writing, let's say I'm a company like, uh, you know, Motorola is fine because they're one of my partner companies. They're trying to sell in 50 states. I think actually they're trying to sell in less, but they're trying to sell across state lines. And the problem is they've got to deal with every one of these state systems. Well, rather than reinvent the wheel and try to do it themselves, they you know use our stuff. And we our Connect CIC product is our universal middleware. You know, so I like to call it the Star Trek Universal Translator okay. for state sieges systems. You write to our API once, we translate it for what you what you need to do. There's some limitations, but overall that's what we do. And we're in forty eight of the fifty states. And then we have a bunch of counties in California, because California's a little different different we have some federal agencies that we deal with as well so we're uh, you know we're really out there and we have probably close to 2,000 installations out there that's overall. awesome we support about 60 to 70 percent of the CAD and RMS industry and, and we're very very busy in the business um, and we're very blessed to be able to do what we do we also have other products we call we've all lump them under the category of sieges access it's either our message router which i just talked about or our terminal product that we use for providing access and you know basically forms that then generate messages to go to those systems so you know within the community we're very well known in uh, what we do it's a very niche business it's not the type of thing that you're going to do it but why we were innovative is 
nobody had ever done this before. In fact, a C, an ex CEO friend of me, a friend of mine, about ten years ago, we were at a, at a, a, a essentially a trade association meeting. People would curl their hair if I heard me saying that. <laughs> but the organization we belong to, he was introducing me to uh, um, a very important person in the industry. He said, Bob's done something amazing. He created a market segment that didn't exist in this business and went on to explain what I had just explained to you. And that was really what the innovative piece is. That's is awesome. And then we, we drove the cost out of that part of the business, which has always been something that everybody hated doing but everybody needed to do it and so we need to do it better that's awesome cool. so help me understand how do you guys take care of the technology i mean do you do you guys employ like in-house do you guys use contractors help we me understand we use in-house people because okay. of what we do we got to do a lot of background checks we're dealing right with which is what i assume yeah exactly we're dealing with what uh is called sensitive but unclassified or sbu okay and that's criminal justice in general in this country. Um, you know, one of the things is unlike the defense stuff, which can have classifications, you know, top secret tickets and secure, secure compartmentalization and all the different tickets that can go with it. Criminal justice cannot be, uh, uh, cannot really be uh, classified in any way, shape or form. The only thing you can do is a, with an active investigation, you can keep the files uh, closed on that on particular crime. Otherwise, everything else has to be shared because one of the you know important points of the Constitution when the country was founded, founding fathers were very concerned that you know you know what the hell was going on with criminal justice. If you've been arrested, you should know why you've been arrested, which was a problem, uh, you know, under the prior management of the country. So you know, as a result, we still have we do a background checks because. You've got an extensive criminal history, you're not going to work here. If you have a ticket, yeah, you might even have a mistake where, you know, you were an idiot when you were in college. That's okay, too. We can get through that. <laughs> While you do a trust crime, like you embezzled from the church, uh, uh, you know, collection thing, eh, not going to happen. Here. That's a little different. That. Yeah, it's a little different. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, so what would you say kind of stands out in your company, like for people that want to work there? What would you say stands out? The culture? What would you say stands out? I, I think it's a culture. We have a tight culture. Most of our people have been here for many years. I've got, you know, a number of employees that have been here 15, 20 years, you know, because ultimately in the end, they get a lot of us get very passionate about the work we do. Um, it's got to be something you want to do. There's some people we've interviewed people and they come in, I guess not really understanding what we do. We start talking about what we do and we literally had somebody say, you know, this just isn't going to be me. I just can't really be helping the police. Okay, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah, yeah, that's your prerogative, and, and certainly we understand that. And just don't badmouth us, and we'll be fine. And, and yeah. Yeah, that's what happens. But a lot of people, once they begin to realize what we do and how we affect officers, and this really gets down to the core of what happened with me. You know, uh, back about 25 years ago when I was still slinging a lot of code and I was like one of two programmers in the company, I had to go off and, and actually, um, uh, I was at a site in California and the uh, sergeant I was working with, who's now become actually a good friend, he's long retired and, you know, he and I still keep in touch, said, hey, if you're going to be doing this for me, uh, you need to understand California law enforcement because it's a little different out here, which he's right. And he said, <laughs> I want you to go on ride-alongs. 
So he stuck me on some ride-alongs on Fridays and Saturday nights, made me stay over, and I you know, was one riding one night with uh, with one of the officers, and you know he had a laptop in there, and I was just basically there as an observer, which you're supposed to be doing. Although we were having a good time chatting because we were about the same age, and same lot in life, and things like that. It was about two in the morning, and all of a sudden he saw something. A guy for driving away he didn't like. And so he radioed in to dispatch saying, we're going to make a traffic stop on this road, this plate, blah, blah, blah. And dispatcher ran it and came back and said, uh, we've got a felony want on the owner of that vehicle. Um, the approach with caution. And he's radioing back, do we have anything else? No, we don't. This is all we got. And we got the vehicles involved and this, the owner is potentially involved as well. And, you know, he looked at me and I looked at him and, uh, you know, he said, well, this is going to be a rough one. I, he said, he gave me the usual instructions. If shooting starts, you take the car and get the hell out of here. That's a fairly typical thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it was one of those moments where all of a sudden it got really tense. He got out of the cruiser. He's got the alley lights focused forward. He's, you know, you know is yelling at the uh, occupant, you know, stick your hands out of the cruiser. We're waiting for backup to come on. And eventually they did get the individual out. They did arrest him. He had an in-state warrant and it was a, you know, for uh, a violent crime. I don't remember what it was. It was a long time ago. It doesn't really matter. But it was at that moment that I began to realize that information systems have a life and death and impact on it. Because imagine if he had walked up to that cruiser or walked up from the cruiser to that vehicle, not knowing that that was a wanted felon in the in the vehicle for a violent crime, and that guy had had a gun and went ahead and shot he shot the officer. That's happened many times. Before. Absolutely, get, yeah, it has. Get a feed of people who are Lee, you know, Leoka and things like that. So it, it's it was a real thing that changed my outlook on things and made me extremely passionate about dealing with the sieges data. So you know that's where a lot of our people bringing it back to the candidates that way. If you realize how important it is to helping law enforcement and helping save lives of both. You know, people in the you know people who are citizens as well as law enforcement, you'll be good able to do a good job here. So help me understand. I mean, that that that's awesome because I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, having the understanding and the foresight to to know how important that is and and how to handle situations is is very critical. Um, but with with having said that, when since this is such a critical thing that you guys take care of. What sort of tech skills are you looking for from candidates? Uh, help me understand what you guys, like your tech stack, what, what skills matter most to you? Okay. Um, a lot of our stuff is, you know, fairly old, although we're moving a lot. Of, we got a lot of C++ around because we're moving messages. We're close to the operating system. We're, we're dealing with a lot of networking and low-level stuff. So we've got a number of guys who are low-level sockets programmers that we're doing bits and bytes on the wire type program. That's not all of our people. We got some web people too. We do a lot of PHP work and um, you know SQL access as well. And we're starting to move into some newer technologies as well. Newer for us, it may be older for other people that way. You know, we're trying to move into some OAuth and uh, things along that line where we're taking our technologies and intelligently moving them forward. And the reason I say intelligently is that there's a kind of a uh, an accepted premise in our business that the software doesn't necessarily have to be the prettiest 
but a bitter read is reliable as hell. Okay, absolutely. People are looking for. They can sacrifice pretty for rock solid, and that's one of the been one of our design considerations over the years. Why we probably laid back a little more than we should, but we wanted to make sure that we always had something reliable. We don't need, you know, to use old terms, you know, a blue screen of death type situation. Not that we have that anymore. Right. But, you know, the point of an application crash is just not acceptable in any situation. We've got to be up and running 24 by 7 probably for years at a time. And we know we have sites where our software has literally been running for years at a time because of that. So, you know, we're, you know, a lot of, like I said a lot of php and a lot of newer things around that realm and we're starting to experiment with some other ideas as well but at the end of the day very much uh okay just more solid technologies so go ahead go ahead okay uh i'm just curious what do you look for specifically in a candidate you specifically Um, what do you what do you look for what do you what are you thinking we're looking for somebody who's really uh interested in learning deep hard stuff okay you know when you cool. have to dig through a manual that was probably written in the 19, late 1990s but it's still the way you communicate with a county switch in in, in or a county message switch or a county CGIS system in california that's what you have to deal with so you know you've got to be prepared to work off documentation and then in many situations we will have weird stuff happen and a lot of times it's about okay how can could i have ended up here bending on the other system because remember we're dealing with communications our programs are communicating with other systems and sometimes when things go wrong it's not our fault it's the other systems doing something wrong and you've got to be smart about saying okay what are they doing wrong how do i program defensively how do i make sure that we don't get taken down by the other system you know so you've got to have very much a a thought process of thinking okay I, i have to worry about my stuff but i also have to worry about the other guy's stuff that i don't control Right. And you need to understand the, the integrations and, and potentially any flaws, like you said. That makes complete sense. So, And being aware of workflow is really important. You know, one of my favorite things to bitch about is, you know, um, and this is a great thing. I'll just use as an example. One of the ways that we have a very distinct language in public safety and law enforcement and you got to learn that language so you may never be a cop or a firefighter but you better understand the, the, the lingo so for mm-hmm. example yeah it's really important because it means things you know so you know people say oh we got a warrant out in the car face palm there's no such thing as a warrant on a call you can only have a warrant on a human being you can have a want on a vehicle but you only have warrants on human beings because mm. that's the way it works that's just an example one but that's that's classically mm. one that we use and the problem is is you've got to use the language right because if you're talking to a customer on the other end who's the lieutenant over support services or a records clerk she run, runs the record section and you use the wrong terminology you immediately cut your credibility out from under you and they're ne- they're never going to treat you as a peer and that's hmm. probably one of the more important things so you've got to be comfortable learning a new language entirely too so how would you help somebody that's new to your company adapt to that lingo i mean help me that, that, that sounds we'll, interesting. We will put people on on ride-alongs. We have agencies okay. around oh, the wow. area that I yeah. know the chiefs or command staff and yeah you know, if somebody wants to do a ride-along hey 
you know, either go ahead and uh, they'll go off and do some run logs. And it's, I, I think it's a growth experience for a lot of people. I think they begin to understand. We also have some people who said, I'd ever want to do that again. I'm glad we're doing what we're doing, but not for me. Hey, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, like you said, I mean, and, and as you've alluded to, I think that provides so much more context when you're actually seeing what's actually going on firsthand that that experience is worth more than gold in, in that situation, and, and it puts it all together for them. Yep, no, exactly right. It makes it, it, it makes, you know, sometimes software can get awful abstract. Right. And all of a sudden, you're actually seeing how they're using it and how that affects people's lives. It makes it really tangible. Absolutely. It brings it, it, brings it closer to home. Cool. So awesome. what I know we kind of talked about culture already, but help me understand, like, what what is the culture like there? How how is that? Uh... Yeah, we're, we're we've got about 20 people. We've got, more, you know, probably what 15 are all in the office here. Another five are remote doing various things out, out in the interlands. Um, so we have a fairly tight group. You know, we have a core group of uh, about four developers that do a lot of the development work. And, you know, we we, we could have four more if we wanted to. Um, you know, we just try to find the right people and the right mix for that is is difficult um and then we have a number of customer support people because these people are hard toward technical support people you've got to be able to work with agencies and figure out what's going wrong and what isn't what working works. and that might be talking to the state crime computer it may be talking to one of our cat or rms partners it might be talking to an end user and there's a lot of detective work of figuring out what the heck is going on so we've got a mix of a lot of very good technical support people and very good developers and like i said i got four right now we could use eight we could afford it right now if we can find the right candidates that's awesome with that with that said what what's the what what's the interview process look like what happens when when somebody gets uh, generally we do a two to three stage process um right. essentially uh, my coo who runs the development side of the shop he ends up uh um uh, usually doing the first past interviews and he's managed some of the largest uh, development shops in the public safety business he ran one of the biggest which had 300 programmers in it at that point wow he and i've been friends for many years and about seven years ago um when a company got acquired he got on the out he was left on the outside of it and we'd always wanted to work together and i needed somebody who was a professional manager much more so than I myself. I am not the, the world's best manager of people, but he really is. He's got skill sets that I don't have. But then again, I'm a bootstrapper. I can create something out of nothing, which he just can't do. And it's just different things. And we were able to come together where, you know, he got some interest in ownership and, you know, value of the company. Uh, so it, it's worked out well for us. But to your point about interview, he usually does the first stage interview. And then he that will then, depending on what he sees in terms of the candidate, will then pull together You know, usually our lead developer, our lead support person, and usually somebody else to go ahead and do a, another interview. And then if we really get hot on somebody, we may, uh, we'll probably asking to come visit because there's nothing quite like an in-person interview to really get a handle on what people are about and if they're truly comfortable about it and uh yeah that's uh, that's generally what the process is we don't want to be difficult we don't want to have a long drawn out process you're going to know pretty much all the way along whether we're interested in you or not or whether you got the right sets we're pretty transparent that way we don't tend to you know you know play any games that right. way it's just not who we are well and i think that's key too because i mean when you when you're going through the interview process i'm a firm believer you're going to know fairly quickly if that person is going to be a good fit for your company so 
why string somebody along if, if you know that you can be transparent hey let's be transparent let's let's get the feedback let's help them out and help you out as well by not by not going through the by not wasting time yeah. essentially no and that's exactly right and that's you know generally scott knows very quickly during the first interview what he wants to go to the second round yeah you know, we get to the second round now we're looking for that being a two-way street interview we right. want to have you've done a little research on us you should be asking good questions about your technology, some of the things you and I have already talked about, but also understanding, hey, where does this fit in the relative stack of you know, what we're doing you know, a little bit more on the detailed level? Why are we dealing with technology that looks like it came out of the teletype era? Well, part of it, some states are still living in the teletype era. We're right. okay with it. Other states are XML. That's fine. We can deal with all those things. And, and so, you know, second interview is usually the critical one because if we get through the second one, which usually is with our people, then we have the third one. That's usually the end for Okay, nice. I'm curious. I'm going to throw this question out here. How is it dealing with uh, the state of Utah and, and their systems? I mean, are we are we cutting edge? Are we are we up to date? You're a lot better than they were about ten years ago. Um, I know I've met the staff a number of times on some activities. We have a mixed amount of business in Utah, not a lot. There's some incumbent vendors that have done a lot of work there, but we have done something. Um, they. Uh, they had a big changeover in terms of personnel, I want to say seven or eight years ago, and I think it's been a breath of fresh air. So they're in, in pretty good shape now. We've been, I've been really impressed when I've talked to them. I've got some other side things that were, you know, that were part of the business that we're working in and wanted to make sure that they could handle it. And they said, yeah, just when you actually get somebody who wants to do that, let us know. We'll be ready to move forward with that. And I can talk about that in a little while. It's kind of awesome. Cool. I don't. I don't know if this is a thing too. Is there? Is there any states that you'd prefer not to work with? <laughs> oh, <laughs> kind of putting you on the spot here. Just, I, I, just, I wouldn't even go that route. Let's just say. Yeah, let's just say there are some that are easy, and there are some that are difficult. Some of them, you know, invent bureaucracy, and I'm not going to mention who they are. Right. And you know, the funny thing is, to your point, and then, actually, this is great. Kind of a great issue that way. One of the biggest problems we find dealing with state people is this, is that the state criminal justice agencies are net, not technology entities. Okay? Right. This is important. You know, this is something I learned when I was doing 911 stuff when I first got into business, is that you got to realize the phone companies are not were not technology companies. They were technology operators that made revenue off of operating a piece of technology. And, you know, I later on, about 10 years later, realize that's essentially what the state criminal justice agencies are. They are technology operators to deliver criminal justice information to police departments, and that's uh, sheriff's offices. And when you understand that, then it becomes a lot easier to deal with them because they're never going to look at it from a technologist's perspective. They're going to look at it from how do I enforce uh, law enforcement and criminal justice rules to deliver that system. And once you understand that, it became a lot easier for us. And that's why even those really difficult states, some of those really difficult states, we've actually got good relationships with them because we know how to work with them and they trust us and we're visible. So, you know, it's, and this just gets to the point, you know, of, you know, you talk about where our disruptive activity is, it's actually in that area because one of the things that we do differently than really any of the people that we compete with, because there's not really any people we directly compete with. There's some people that sell technology in the state systems. They could do a little bit of us, but they don't understand the locals because in our space, there's local agencies, there's state agencies, and there's federal agencies or national agencies. 
and they're all different. And you got to understand that each of them has to be sold to differently and worked with differently. But you know what we've learned from dealing with these agencies over over time and these entities is that because they all operate a little differently, we learn that we have to start socializing with them. So we go to their meetings and we meet with them, we talk to them. And so one of the things that's happened over time is many of these, what we call a you know, CGIS system officer, it's a CSO, it's a legal term that defines the person that owns the criminal justice system in that particular state. Uh, at one time, probably about four or five years ago, I figured it out that I knew 35 of the state CSOs on a first name basis. And about 15 wow. of them, I knew their predecessors, and their, and five of them, I knew their predecessor's predecessor. Wow. And 10 of those uh, 35, I knew their wives and I knew their kids. And so it tells you how long I've been doing these and visiting and becoming those. So those relationships, and that's the big thing with law enforcement and everything I'm talking about. It's all about relationships. You've got to understand how to relate to people and build relationships with them. And sometimes it's just like being late for our, our uh, meeting tonight. Um, I was just chatting with one of, one of the agency people I deal with. And quite frankly, I want to tell you, we're talking business, but we were actually talking family stuff. And those are the relationships you have to have. Oh, absolutely. And those are the important things, I think, to, to understand and to have those relationships is key. Yeah. So yeah. With, with all all of that said, what do you what do you see in the future of Comcast? Yeah, certainly what's, we got a lot of things coming along. And, you know, one of the things that our business is dominated by is what's called FBI, as in the FBI, uh, CGIS security policy. It's a policy document that's been around in one form or another for about twenty or thirty years. Um, it's a difficult document because where it started and where it needs to be are two different places. Uh, it's kind of a combination of policy and technology all kind of wrapped up into one and it's really been a difficult document to deal with. Now we're rewriting it and the, the, you know I don't say we, uh, we in the sense of me individually but the entire community right. being led by the states and the FBI and locals and everybody's participating in it because we're trying to align it with like NIST 800-853, which is a, one of the big uh, issues, uh, big documents for computer security. If some of you uh, people on the phone, on the show, listening to the show, I've heard about this. These We're trying to align the CGIS world with the NIST security mo model because by getting towards that and working towards that model, we have uniformity, which then means we can also go to the cloud. And that's ultimately what a lot of agencies want to have happen, is be able to put it in the cloud and get away from a lot of on-premise, which most of our businesses right now is still on-premise. I see it being mixed in the future. Some will be cloud, some will be on-premise, but yeah, we got to be able to move seamlessly between the two environments. And that makes complete sense. I mean, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. We, I, we this has been this has been enlightening. It's been interesting to kind of look under the hood, kind of, of of what's going on in the states. Because you know, you you, you dial nine one one, you're like, yeah, somebody's there to answer, and somebody's going to come help me. Right. You know that that's all you know. <laughs> and you never think anything yeah, you different. Never either. don't think about all of the things that has to happen for that to work right. So this has you been know. really interesting and and enlightening of, of what that looks like. With that said, we'd like to end or we'd like to ask a question to you, Robert. What do you think of technology in general and the future? What do you see in the future, not just for CompSys, but 
technology in general all over, what, what is your prophetic mind saying about the future of tech? Well, technology, I continue on. I mean, it always has. Nothing will ever change that way, I don't see. I, I do see that people are going to have to get more understanding about what some of the technologies are. I mean, you know, AI is obviously one of those areas where there's a lot of excitement in terms of things. But there's going to be limitations to what it can do and what it can't right. do, but also how it can be misused. And I think people have to get a lot more uh, aware of how large corporations who are trying to serve their investors are going to sometimes do things that may not make sense. So you've got to pay attention and be active about saying, no, we don't think that's a good use of technology. And I'm not saying what that is, but I'm just saying I want people to pay attention because you know, because of where I come from with public safety and law enforcement, you've got to deal with the fact that there's both policy and technology. And so I maybe I'm more aware of it than most people are, but you've always got to be looking at how does the policy contain technology? Because technology affects our lives. Policy should be controlling technology, not the other way around. Agreed. Oh, good. That yeah, is that is awesome. Yeah. Good insight. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Robert, thank you so much. Brad, any last words with what uh, what are we thinking, man? No, this I mean, was really my, enlightening. Very cool stuff. My brain cool is just overload right now. I'm trying oh, to process I can, I can it all. Tell I you. <laughs> you want me back? I can tell you about all things next gen nine one, ASAP, BSAP, all sorts of stuff. I, I mean, uh, there's all things in my space. You know, there's just all sorts of neat things to talk about. So if Absolutely. you ever see something to talk about, you want me to ramble on it? Absolutely. See. I mean, I think that's <laughs> I definitely that. something that uh, we'll, we'll we'll keep in our back pocket yeah, if we ever. We ever want to have you on again and, and uh, love to love to chat more and in depth and, and understand those things a little bit more. So so how do people find out more about Compsys or can they connect it, especially well, if they're looking for jobs? Because, or? because I've been involved with the internet since almost day one, we still we have our own domain. You know, www.comsys.com. That's C-O-M-M-S-Y-S.com. Charlie Oscar, Mike Mike, Sierra Yankee Sierra. Dot com the that's actual a, legitimate one we've had that for about 30 years and cool. um you know that's uh that's probably the best place to go and uh you'll see a lot about us that way and if you're interested in looking at us for a job we are on linkedin that's probably a good place to connect that's probably the only social media we really do which in our space that makes sense but Absolutely. if you uh, you got want to send us a, a a resume or something like that you can send it to resume at comsys.com but please send us PDFs. It's a lot safer that way, you know, just as a agreed. A, <laughs> yeah. Right. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much, Robert. This was super this cool, was very super enlightening. enlightening. Yeah, I love I it. Love it. it. Thank you for spending the the time with us, Robert, and and thank you for what you're doing because that's well, uh, I, powerful yeah. stuff. Love Absolutely. It, well, I appreciate the time. I hope your listeners enjoyed it. Oh, I'm sure they will. Awesome. Well, you know what time it is. It's time to go. <laughs> thank you for listening to Jobs 